If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John, the 13th chapter. As we're going through John, looking at the, the titles that he gives himself and how we recognize him, we're discovering another one through the story that comes out of John chapter 13. It's got a little bit of a twist to it today, as we'll, we'll kind of look at. Um, let's go ahead and begin reading, and we're going to read just the first 17 verses, all right? Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And then he began to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you is. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, recently I was talking with some minister friends of mine, and we were just kind of talking about ministry and how long we've been in the ministry and how things had gone, and we, we got into the conversation of ordination, and in that, that conversation... We start talking about, you know, when we were ordained and how long and, and what the ordination was like. And, and usually what happens is you'll have a group of elders who will lay their hands on a man and pray over him and, and somehow through the Spirit of God empower within him a commission to go out into the world and to preach the gospel and to lead people to Christ. And usually that is, that is done in the presence of the church, and then a certificate of ordination is given. 
Now, I have my certificate of ordination, and, and on it there are 13 names of elders, some from this church and some from the church I was serving at in Wood River, Illinois. Almost all these fellows have passed on, except for Norman Eads is still here in the church, and he's one of the fellows who ordained me. And so I told the first service, and I'll tell you, if, if you blame me for what I'm doing, you've got you to take Norman with you, because he was one of the guys that, that helped commission me and send me out, all right? But then Norman reminded me, if I get blamed for the bad things you've done, I also get the credit. So I <laughs> said, okay, we'll, we'll go with it. But as we were talking, Scott had said, well, yeah, I got an ordination certificate, but our church did something a little bit different as well. And we're thinking, okay, what is this? He said, they gave me a towel. And if you understand the story that just took place here, then there's a significance in the fact that the church gave him a towel, and it's something that they would do to all the men that they ordained into ministry because they were ordaining him into a life of service, serving others, just the same as Jesus did. Jesus did not come into this world so that we would sit there and applaud him and just bow at his feet. He didn't want that. What he wanted was to come in and to serve us. And here we see that demonstrated in this chapter of John 13. We discover the identity of Jesus is one as Lord and Master, one as Lord and Teacher. So our, our passage is going to tell us who he is. But to help us to get a little bit of understanding about that towel and about what it means to serve, I think we need to look at three of the characters that are present that day in that room. The first one is this. It's the one with the dirty heart. That was Judas Iscariot. So we have to understand who he was and, and, and everything about it. But, but who was he anyway? Well, we know he's the one who betrayed Jesus, but we really don't focus much on him, and the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about him, but there are some things. And so I thought I would kind of give you a little bit of an understanding of who he is before we go any further. First off, Judas is one of the 12 that was chosen by Jesus specifically to be one of his disciples. So he's one, of the, he's one of the fellows who, who came with Jesus. He's one of the fellows who Jesus even sent out to preach good news that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And so he went out as well. And when they came back, all these disciples were reporting, we, we preached and we taught and we did miracles and, and we cast out demons. Judas is a part of that. Jesus empowered him and gave him the authority and the ability to go out and to make a difference in the world. And when they came back after their internship, so to speak... They were amazed what the Word of God was doing in their lives. We also know that, that the disciples, they had to have trusted Judas somewhat. After all, he was their banker. I mean, he was the guy who kept the money purse. And so if something needed to be purchased, they would say, Judas, go get it. And so he would go purchase it. If money was given out of the generosity of a people's heart or when they're fishing and they find coins, whatever it was, you know, he would keep the money. So they had some... He had some influence amongst the brothers there, and they put their trust in him. Beyond that, we really don't know much about him other than traveling with this band of misfits. The one thing that we do focus on a lot is his failure, his betrayal of Jesus. And we see that really unfolding in our story today. But Jesus knew more about him than he let on, even from the very beginning. You see, there were prophecies in the Old Testament about Judas. And I want us to look, and they don't give his name, 
but they give his character and they give the identity of what's going to happen at these points. And so in Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, we read, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. A prophecy in the Old Testament about Judas, who was, as Jesus says, my close friend, whom I trusted. He's lifted his heel against me. And in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, it says, And I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. Now hang on a second. This is as if spoken from the lips of Judas to the chief priests, in the temple. All right, so what's he going on saying? And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Now, you have to understand, that's exactly what took place with Judas. He went in and made a deal with the priest and says, You want to get Jesus, I'll help you but it's going to cost you. And so they kind of bargained together, and they came up with this price of 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah spoke about. And when Judas realized what he had done, he took that money, he went back to the temple, he threw it in the temple, and they went and they gave it to the potter to buy the field in which he hanged himself. See, there was a time recorded in John chapter 12, verse 8, when Jesus was the guest of honor at the house of Lazarus. Now, we talked about Lazarus last week. Remember, he was dead for four days when Jesus came to Bethany, and then he called him forth out of the tomb. Well, Lazarus, in response to what Jesus had done, was deciding to throw a big banquet for Jesus in his honor. So he invited people all to come to his house, and there they were, and they're celebrating what Jesus had done for him. But in the picture of all this, we've got Lazarus there at the table. We've got Martha, who is in the kitchen preparing the meal, and we've got Mary, the sister, who's also in the room with Jesus. And she's there, and she gets down on her knees at the feet of Jesus, and she opens up this very expensive jar of perfume. Matter of fact, the cost for that jar of perfume was about one year's wage. Now that's some expensive perfume. And so what does she do? She pours it out on Jesus' feet. And she, she dries it and wipes it with her hair. And Judas is there at the table and he sees what's going on and he smells it. That may have been the first thing is he got the whiff of this perfume and he realized what's going on. And he confronts everything about it because of where his heart really is. And so we see there in John chapter 12 that Judas then says, Hey! What are, you, what are you doing? That was a stupid thing to do. You realize how much money that perfume cost? We, we could have sold that and given that money to the poor. And instead, you've wasted it here. Now, John, as he's writing the story out for us, he throws in a little side note about that comment that Judas made. He says, no, Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. He was concerned about his own pockets because he's been pilfering out of the money bag for quite a while. He's been kind of shady can you say embezzlement? That was Judas. You see, when Judas didn't get his way there that day, that was it for him. 
after the waste of that perfume, he then went to the chief priest and to the leaders at the temple, and he struck his deal for 30 pieces of silver, and he would betray Jesus. But later when he realized that Jesus was actually going to die, his plan probably didn't work out what he thought would happen. Because Jesus is supposed to fight. He's not supposed to just surrender and go and and die. And the guilt of what came upon Judas at that point caused him to throw away the money back in the temple and to go out and, and hang himself in a field. And if you go to Jerusalem today on the southern side of the Temple Mound area, you will find this field that is not touched, and nobody does anything with it. It's a field for the dead. But in our passage today in John 13, after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he points out the prophecy of Psalm 41 that we read earlier. And in the next section of text, as you move forward, we we discover that Jesus reveals that Judas Iscariot is the one who is going to betray him by the action of giving him a piece of bread after he dipped it in the wine. But then Jesus says something really unusual. He tells Judas, go do what you need to do. Judas gets up and he leaves to betray him. But the other disciples, they have no clue. Even in the middle of all this conversation, they have no clue. All they know is Judas is the one who carries the money, so maybe he's going to go out and buy something that Jesus forgot. That's what they, that's what they kind of begin to surmise by themselves when they're talking about, well, where's Judas? Where'd he go? I guess he went to go buy something. He did. He went to go buy your freedom by surrendering Jesus. But in John 13, verse 26 and 27, Jesus makes this statement. When he tells them that there's going to be one who's going to betray him, and they still don't get it. And so he gives them a specific illustration right before their eyes. And he says, it's the one whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, I'm reminded of those WWJD bracelets again that used people popular with people. Knowing that the betrayer was right there with him reclining at the table, what does Jesus do? He gets up and washes his feet. Just like he washed the other disciples. He washed Judas' feet. He served Judas at the last moment in which he could do that. He is serving him, even though he's going to betray him in this. He is breaking bread with him. We just had our communion service where we remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for us. It was at this meal that he is commemorating that, and he gives Judas a piece of the bread that represents his broken body for his sins. He doesn't exclude him. He clues him in with everybody else. And then he gives him permission to go betray him. 
If you don't think Jesus wanted to die on the cross for your sins, that lays it all out there. He came for you specifically. Because if he could do that with Judas, think about what he'd do for us. But you know what? We probably had betrayed him time and time again too. Let's look at another one. The one with the dirty feet. That's Simon Peter. He's the one who liked to bathe a lot apparently because Jesus brings it up. All right, so we, we know a good deal more about Peter, especially his rash and impulsive nature that he has in his life. He knew that his character would lead him to deny Jesus, deny even knowing him that very night. Just as Judas would betray him, Jesus knows that Peter, who he's going to wash his feet, is going to do this before the crow crows in the morning, the rooster crows in the morning. You're going to deny even knowing me. You're not going to want to have anything to do with me. And again, that's prophesied in Scripture, because look what it says in Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my gand against the little ones. Now, I, I picture after Jesus his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. I picture the disciples kind of sitting around, maybe around a campfire at night, talking about things, and, and talking about what Jesus meant to them, and talking about how they related to things, and, and looking at all the different stuff. And I imagine that there might have been a point when they came in, and they began to kind of give a roast for Peter. You know, the guy who's always impulsive and always doing things and saying things that maybe he ought not to. And so, if you would, just, just humor me a little bit. You know, they might have filled in some gaps for Matthias, who now is a disciple, an apostle, because Judas is dead. And kind of letting him know some of the things that had happened and transpired. And so, maybe it was Matthew, because he writes a lot of these things down. That, that Matthew was writing, and, and, and they were explaining things. And, and so, as he's writing down these events, maybe Matthew said, Hey, I remember the time when we were in the boat, and, and that storm rose up out on sea there, and, and we were being tossed. It was a bad storm, guys. Remember that? We thought we were going to drown, and we looked out, and there's Jesus walking on the water. And can you believe what Peter said? So he writes it down for us in Matthew 14, verse 28. And Peter, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I mean, Peter's always impulsive. None of us would have said, send me out there on the water, but yet Peter would do it. And maybe Mark chimes in and he might have said, remember how he used to call him Simon? But that day he asked us, who do the people say that I am? And we'd heard people thought that he might be one of the prophets or Elijah or, or maybe some thought he was John the Baptist who had just come back from the dead. But then he asked us, who do you say that I am? Peter opened his mouth as he always does, Mark says. And he says, you're the Christ. Listen to what he says there in Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus told him that that confession he would build his church on and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Maybe then Thomas jumps in and he starts talking about, about Peter as well. And, and he, he says, you remember when Jesus began to talk about his upcoming death and his burial and resurrection? Matthew, get this down. And so Matthew writes it in chapter 16, verse 22 and 23. And he says, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. <coughs> but he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, he went from being, you are the Christ, to you're Satan? Man, Peter was impulsive, wasn't he? We also know that, that John speaks up next, maybe, and, and he remembers a time that, that Jesus took Peter, James, and, and John up on a mountain, and, and he begins to describe everything that happened there that day and, and how Jesus in his bodily figure just began to transform, and, and he was transfigured into the glory of God. And, and all of a sudden, before their very eyes, there was not only Jesus in his glory, but, but Moses and Elijah, and they were having a conversation, and the voice from heaven comes down, and he writes it there that, 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 it, was, that it was, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased with. Listen to him. And Matthew tells us in, verse, in chapter 17, verse 4, that Peter said to Jesus at that moment, Lord, oh, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And of course, we heard God respond and, 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 and tells us we need to listen to him instead of go through all these things. But then Jesus told us that day not to tell anybody else about what we had seen or what we had heard. Hmm. And of course, as those disciples are talking, you, you can't leave Andrew out because he's Peter's brother, and he probably has a lot more to say about Peter than many of the other guys because he's known him his entire life. And, and so Peter points out to them at that time in Matthew 18, 21, when Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And, and as many as seven times? He says, can you believe his nerve? I mean, we're just having a little argument. He goes and takes it to Jesus, and now he's asking him how many times he can forgive me. I mean, I thought he was the knucklehead, not me, but yet here we're speaking this. And then James points out to the night of Jesus' arrest that Peter was extremely brave that night. I mean, he really was. I mean, he made that statement that he would die for him, Right? Well, look what Matthew 26, 30-35 says. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You'll all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd. The sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the other disciples said the same thing. And then we have this action that takes place here in John chapter 13. They're at the table in that upper room, okay? And Jesus comes around after he's washing some of their feet. And he comes to Peter, and he gets there at Peter's feet, and he starts to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, are you crazy? You're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus corrects his fake piety and righteousness, and he, and he, he, lets, he tells him, you know what? If you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to have any share in what I've got. You've got to let me do this. And of course, to true nature, Peter kind of goes overboard because he says, well, not only my feet, Lord. <laughs> wash my hands, wash my head, wash me. 
And Jesus said, you've already had a bath, Peter. We know that. Well, you love baths. You don't need to have a bath again. It's only your feet. Those are the ones that have been walking in the, in the dust, and we need to clean those up before they come into this room here. A man who's had a bath, who is clean, only needs his feet washed. And so Jesus assured him that he'd, he just needed that. And it reminds me of several conversations over the years concerning baptism with people. Some people think that, okay, I'm going to give my life to Christ, and I'm going to surrender, and I'm going to, I'm going to confess Him as Lord and repent of my sins, and I'm going to be baptized, and, and I'm going to live the righteous life. But all of a sudden they start, and they sin again. And then an invitation is given, they come down, they want to be baptized again. I knew a girl one time who had been baptized eight times. She felt that every time she sinned and she recognized she sinned, she needed to repent and she needed to be baptized again. That's not the case. Once you've been clean, you're clean. You just need to have take care of the little areas of life and surrender them to Jesus. Matter of fact, listen to what Jesus has to say in, in 1 John uh, 1.9. God tells us that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get your life right with God. Yes, be baptized. But even if you sin afterward, it doesn't mean you need to keep doing that. You just simply need to confess to Him what you've done wrong. And we need to confess to one another so we can hold each other accountable so we don't do those things again. So as we live in our lives in faith, we continually strive for perfection but we still fail. It's going to happen to each and every one of us. But we have confidence in this, that God will forgive us if we confess our sins before Him. At this point, I want you to notice there's a difference between Judas and Peter. And, and here's the difference. They both failed that night. Judas betrayed and Peter denied him. And Peter was even cussing mad. I don't even know who that guy is. Leave me alone. But Judas, his remorse just exasperated his guilt till he took his own life. However, Peter's remorse brought about repentance and then a relationship with Jesus even after that. And he was forgiven, and he was commissioned, and he was sent out into the world. How we respond when we fail with Jesus is important. So we've got Judas, the one who betrayed. We've got Peter, the one who denied. But there's a third. It's the one with the dirty hands. And that's Jesus. He's the one who got down, he rolled up his sleeves, and he got to work. And he got into the mess of their lives and the dirt, even of their physical bodies. And he met their needs. He's the one that we know most about. Matter of fact, I'm not going to go into all the details about Jesus because we don't have time. Matter of fact, John, who's writing this story, tells us at the very end of his book, all the world could not contain all the volumes of books that might be written about the things that Jesus did and Jesus said. So we don't have time for that. So let's just kind of break down a few things about Jesus. Let me tell you briefly about Jesus. We've seen that, that he taught as one with authority like nobody else had ever taught before. And he backed it up with miracles. 
to give authority to those things. He treated the downtrodden with compassion. And he confronted the self-righteousness of the people and, and, and told them they need to get their lives right with him. And let's contrast his attitude and the attitude with his disciples. In their own writing, they tell us that they were always arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They were always arguing about it. They, and Jesus caught them on it multiple times, and he had to confront them about it. James and John, their mother, even went to Jesus one time and said, Hey, Jesus, when you get onto your throne, can you put one of my boys on your right and the other one on your left? The other boys heard it, and they got mad. They wanted those positions. Everybody wants to be great in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, if you want to be great, what do you got to be? Let me show you. A servant. And so mealtime came, and when there was no servant at the household for that meal to wash their feet. Now, the custom was this. You would have a basin of water outside the house at the doorway so that you would not bring the dirt of the city in the street into the house. And the house would often have a servant there or somebody within the household would be there to wash the guest's feet as they come in. Nobody did it. The boys all barged into the room. They laid down at the table there and then said, let's eat. And Jesus, realizing that that hospitality act of a servant had not been done, he gets up from the table, he takes off his clothes, outer clothes. He wraps a towel around his waist. He gets this basin of water. He pours and he takes it with him and he begins to wash their feet because nobody else did it. So here's where Jesus demonstrates the difference of who he is and who we are. So what would Jesus do with the circumstance? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 briefly, verses 5 through 8, as Paul is writing to us about the character and the attitude of Jesus that we need to have. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, here's the difference between Judas and Peter and you and me and Jesus. By his very nature, he serves. So here it is played out right in front of them as he's going through washing their feet. And he rolls up his sleeve, gets his hands dirty, and he gets down to the business of serving. And then he gets back up and he joins them again at the table. Then he turns this into a teaching moment since he is the master teacher, and they call him Lord and teacher. In some translations, teacher is also master. And, so this is what it says. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments in verse 12 through 17 of John 13, and he resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. That's it right there. 
He's telling them who He is once again. He is Lord and Master. He is the one who's going to teach them all about all things. He now wants to know, did you get it? Do you understand what I just did for you? I mean, you're calling me Lord and Teacher, and that's who I am. So that means you need to follow my example. So he goes on and he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We've got to become servants of one another. Now, it's not about literally washing each other's feet. Otherwise, they would have gotten up at that moment and started washing each other's feet. No. It finally sank in. Oh. He keeps telling us if we want to be great, we've got to be less. No servant is above his master. And no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Both the servant and the messenger, they operate under the authority of their Lord and Master. And if they want to be blessed, they're going to carry out what he commands them to do. If we call Jesus our Lord and our Master teacher, and we don't do what he has commanded us to do, he isn't our Lord and Savior. Because to be that, we need to be obedient. We need to do what He says to do. We need to serve one another in love. So what does Jesus send us to do? Let's look at Matthew 28. Just before He's going to go off into heaven, He has His fellows there one more time, and He's going to tell them something. And this is what He wants them to do. And this is passed on through all generations of Christianity, even to this day right now. So in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, He tells us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. If He is your Lord and Master, then you have a requirement to go out into the world, wherever your world is, and to help people understand who He is, and to make them students and disciples of Him so they can follow after His example as well. We're called to, to baptize people into His name. We're called to teach them afterwards to continually observe what He has commanded us to do. And He'll be there with us. How does a servant pass along the message? Well, in this text we discover that as we go along in life, we are to be about the work that He has given us as our Lord and Master. Francis of Assisi, I think, is the one who is attributed to saying this, preach the gospel daily, and if necessary, use words. You demonstrate by your actions every day whether or not you are a disciple of Jesus. Do they see Him? Worship team, if you want to come on up. There are some questions I think that we need to ask ourselves today. Whose feet do I need to wash? 
Who do I need to serve? Who, who do I need to make sure that they hear the message about Jesus? I mean, what opportunities are presenting itself that I can use my talents for His glory and for His kingdom and to meet the needs of other people? Service begins with relationships. And Jesus lowered Himself from God on high into a relationship with mankind by becoming just like us. So that He could serve us personally and one-on-one. And we need to do the same thing. Personally, one-to-one, we need to serve other people because we're following His example. If He is your Lord and Master, the gift of grace has been offered. What are you going to do with it? Let's stand together. That you've shown us through Jesus a life of service, a life of love. And as we call Him our Lord, as we call Him as our Master and our Teacher, our Savior, our Redeemer, that, Father, we will do exactly what He did. We will look to those around us, we will bend our knee, and we will be servants. Father, show us who we need to make a difference in their life today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.